All right, good morning to my story family. It's great to see all of y'all. I missed you last Sunday. Grateful for Dylan Braddock stepping in while I stepped away to take care of, uh, of my mom and her uh, health battles. And thank you all for your prayers in that regard. It's really cool to be a part of a church that just keeps going uh, when the pastor's out and, and uh, doesn't miss a beat. So thank you for that. And thank you all for being here this morning. If you're new here, thank you for being here especially. My name's Eric, and I'm the lead pastor here. I want to say hi, not just to the folks here gathered in person in the museum district, but also to our friends over at our Timber Grove campus at 8200 Washington Avenue in the Heights. And also to those of you joining us online, if you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube or on our website, thestory.church, you're part of our community as, as our online campus today, so be sure to check in uh, in the comments section. Hope you all are doing good. It's a pretty fun day today uh, because, ready or not, summer of love is here. Are you ready? All right. I've been talking about it, <laughs> hyping it up for a couple of months now, and it is upon us. The summer of love starts now. Now, what is the summer of love, I hear you asking? All right. So the summer of love is going to be, first and foremost, a seven-part message series about um, dating and sex and romance and marriage. Uh, the first four in particular are going to be directed at uh, folks who are single in our community and, and, and obviously watching online. And so, um, you know, we haven't really done a series explicitly about dating and relationships since 2017, I think, um, with a series called Swiping Right. And the reason I bring that up is because they are still to this day, those messages are some of our most popular and most watched messages online to this day. And that tells me that there is a real need in terms of this topic that isn't being met very well by the church at large and even by us. If people are going back six years ago and watching those messages more than they're watching today's messages, that tells me there's probably a need there we need to pay more attention to. So um, my hope is that over the next seven Sundays, those of you who are single, adults, like folks that are um, maybe dating, maybe not, maybe you've given up on dating like a lot of people have. I hope that these messages are an encouragement to you. I hope they're beneficial to you because I know that the, the struggle is real, as they say. Now, I also hope that this series isn't just for single people, but that folks who are um, married, attached, whatever, um, that, that it's also beneficial to you, whether it, it's going to make your marriage stronger, and I believe some of these messages will be designed just for that purpose, or whether it makes you uh, a more equipped um, friend, family member, parent to someone who is single. Look, it is so bad out there. <laughs> it is so bad out there in the dating scene as, you know, as most people know it, and online dating especially. It's just rough for a lot of people. We as the church need to be prepared to always give an encouragement, to always give a, a good and godly word of wisdom or advice when, it's, when it is sought, not unsolicited necessarily, but when it is thought. And we need to know how to love everybody well, especially in this case, uh, folks who are single and um, following Jesus alongside of us. So that's what I hope this uh, series will accomplish. Now, one more thing I got to share before I get into this message today is that it's not just a sermon series. The Maybe God podcast team and, and I, we, we, are, we are spearheading a first ever event uh, or, or it's more than an event. It's a phenomenon, really. It's called o Operation <laughs> Operation Matchmaker, all right? And so if you're new here, this isn't something we do all the time. This isn't one of those religions, all right? But this is something that we have decided to do as uh, basically our best attempt to come alongside our, our single Christian friends in Houston 
who um, might, might appreciate the opportunity to come together at some singles mixers that are specifically for Christian singles in Houston. We have two mixers coming up over the next month or so. We'll be announcing soon. Also, we are doing, as the name would imply, we are doing some matchmaking, all right? This is by application only. We've received over 100 applications, qualified applications. We received more than that, but we had to say no to some people for different reasons that I won't divulge or get into. Nothing saucy. They just didn't live in Houston, mostly. And some of them were like, I'm agnostic. And I was like, well, this is for, anyway. Anyway, so it's one of those things. So I didn't want to be mean, but it, it is a very specific purpose. Now, there's still time to apply. If you or someone you know is a Houston Christian single and you'd like to get your name in the hat, there's no age sort of restriction on this, except you got to be an adult, like, and, and you shouldn't expect to be matched with someone more than a decade or two apart from your own age, all right? Other than that, have at it. Uh, the address is maybegodpod.com slash matchmaker, all right? And you can get applied, and, and uh, you'll be a part of those emails. I'll be sending out some devotionals for singles and all that to that group, so get, get applied today. If you're not a single Houston Christian, you can get this link to someone you care about who is, all right? So with all that being said, let's get into today's message, all right? So... Over the past couple of months, in preparation for this series, I have been doing my homework. I like to research and write sermons more than I like to preach them. And that has been an adventure, I'll tell you. You know, I, 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 I'm enjoying more and more the serious kinds of series we do in the spring and the fall, like a book of the Bible kind of stuff, and we'll be getting into Acts in the fall. And in the summer, we try to just lighten up a little bit and talk about these kinds of things. And the more I'm researching these kinds of things, the more just despair I feel. Because as, as much as I've been reading and doing my homework about the modern dating scene, I, I just, I don't know what to say, but wow, wow, what a mess. What a hot, stinking mess the online dating scene, or just dating in general, is these days for the great majority of people who are in it. And man, how much harm is being done to people's identity and people's sense of self and, and their relationships. It's just a rough scene right now. And, and, you know, I've tried to figure out why. My best guess for why, other than just, you know, the, the old preacher answer of, well, sin, you know, of course sin is why, but like, but like, what are the specific whys? And part of it is just the advice being thrown out these days by the most like popular influencers, secular influencers and podcasts and voices that people are listening to, the advice you're hearing um, by and large is just, it's trash. Like some of, it's, some of it's sort of old stuff that's being rehashed. Some of it is sort of new, new kind of stuff. But I thought I'd share just a couple of examples of the very bad advice that's being, that's being thrown out very regularly to the extent that a lot, most people, I would say today, assume it is true. Things like, I found this on a blog that's for single women, if they can't handle you at your worst, they don't deserve you at your best. All right, this sounds nice. No reaction in the room, which tells me all of you think that's exactly right. I've said that to my friend or my sister or my whatever. Like, if they can't accept you at your worst, they don't deserve you at your... Okay, okay, real talk, are you ready? Maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe there's a nugget of truth in there. But my sense is that more often than not, if they can't handle you at your worst, because... You need to work on your worst, right? Maybe, maybe you just, maybe you need Jesus. Maybe you need therapy. Maybe you need Jesus and therapy or therapy and Jesus, whatever, whatever you need. Chances are they're not the only problem. 
okay? And a lot of the bad advice is like this. It's about them not accepting you and not the other way around. You know, it's just, it's very much a sort of a deflection kind of uh, approach to these uh, pieces of advice, okay? Another piece that I've heard, this is an old one, but it's, we're hanging on to it, man. It's, hey, when you're dating, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And that seems okay until you really think about it, and you're like, this is maybe the worst relationship advice ever. Like, putting all your eggs in one basket is the definition of monogamy. Like, that's a relationship. That's what that is. Putting your eggs in one basket. Don't be scattering those eggs around, you know? Like, that's, that's cheating. That's infidelity, you know? Like, like, good relationships are two people, both of which put all their eggs in the other's basket. You know what I'm saying? But this is a very common piece of toxic advice. Third uh, is this one, you can do better, which is what we all tell our friends when we don't like who they're dating. You can do better, (laughs) which is, I will grant you this, it is technically true. Technically true, you can, no matter who you're with. Even if you're married today and you love the one you're with, you can do better. (laughs) You can, because there's something about them that you would change if you could. And there's someone else out there who has what you wish your beloved has. There's always something or someone better out there in some way or another. If your partner is not tall enough, there's someone taller out there. If they're, you know, not the right body type, there's someone out there who is. If, if they're not making enough money, there's someone out there who does. Of course, there's always someone better out there. But here's the trick. It's another one of those deflection things. We always are quick to say you can do better because there's someone better out there for you. But we fail to realize that if there is someone out there better for you, there's also someone out there better than you. And if you are entitled to move on to someone better, then anyone you're ever with should be entitled to move on from you too. And so we will find ourselves in this toxic turnstile of perpetual dating and singleness if we were to adopt this mentality. Finding and love or whatever on the dating scene isn't about finding the one over whom you can do no better. It's about finding someone as they are and loving them no matter what. And so this is a very toxic sort of uh, piece of advice that's actually very common. And here's sort of a, a new one, but it's also very old. I thought I heard this Kind of, I got this internalized when I was a kid, and I thought we had debunked this myth, but now it's back in force among podcasts and influencers that are speaking to heavily male audiences, audiences especially of young men. And this is what they're saying to the young men uh, today. A man's body count means nothing, but a woman's body count means everything. There are boomers in the room going, what's a body count? All right. I am compiling an exhaustive glossary of modern dating terms that I will share with you before this series is over. Body count just means the number of people you've uh, been with intimately. And so this idea that there's a double standard, that a a man's body count doesn't matter, but a woman's does, it's really not just hypocritical, um, and it's false. It's really what I want. It's false, Right? And from a biblical perspective, I mean, it it matters how all of us live out our sexuality and and take care of our bodies and share ourselves with others, you know. But but this sort of thing, by the way, is so common among podcasts and, uh, and influencers that a generation of young men are being 
discipled into this kind of thinking that they can do whatever they want with whomever they want, however often they want, but when it comes time to find a wife, they want someone pure. And there's nothing wrong with hoping your wife is pure when you meet her, but if you aren't, who are you to expect that of anyone else? So you see this sort of problem, but it is such a, it's a, it's a misogyny revisited in our culture that uh, is so influential, I had to say something about it. I'm hearing it from the likes of men like Andrew Tate, who's a former pro kickboxer and massively, massively popular influencer. Jake Paul, who is another one that some of your sons or grandsons are following. The Whatever podcast, which is supposed to be a dating podcast, but it's not helping anyone know how to date better. It's just awful. The Fresh and Fit podcast, which is the bottom right uh, example, where the Fresh and Fit podcaster says, these are the three top reasons you should never seriously date a single mom, which might be the, among the single worst pieces of advice I've ever heard or you'll ever hear about dating. Absolute trash. So why do I bring this up? Why do I show these guys? Because in the last half year, since January, I can remember speaking to a half dozen young men who go to the story who have fallen prey to this kind of trash. And so they are, they are being indoctrinated into this kind of thinking, and it shows by the way that they are living and the decisions that they are making. And I'm just, frankly, as a pastor, I'm sick of it. And one of the reasons I'm sick of it is because, and this is not hyperbole, I think maybe the biggest issue we have with our dating quagmire as a culture. If it's not the biggest issue, it's definitely, I think, one of the first dominoes to fall in this whole myriad of other dominoes that are falling now, is that we are no longer raising boys to become men. We're raising boys to just stay boys as they get bigger. And they're, they're not maturing into men who take responsibility for their lives at a reasonable age and take responsibility for their choices and for how they're living at a reasonable age. We have this prolonged adolescence that, frankly, is, is messing with the numbers game on the dating scene when people have reached their 20s. And I could share the whole thing with you, but I don't have time. I deleted it from the last draft of this message, and I really wanted to get nerdy with you and share all the stats on that. But just, I'm telling you, this is a major problem. So if you are a young man, watch what you watch. Be careful with what you listen to and expose yourself to and how it's influencing you. You might be watching it just for entertainment value, not realizing your brain is absorbing what you're watching. And suddenly you'll find yourself justifying things you never would have justified before. And if you're raising a young man, don't forget, it's your responsibility to police and oversee what they're seeing and say no to things that aren't good for them, that not just aren't good for them, that are incongruent with God's will for them. And there's no one else who's going to stand in that gap, parents. So we better watch what, we're, what our kids are watching, in this case, our young men are watching, lest uh, we allow uh, an entire generation to be lost to bad ideas like these. All right. So what I'm, what I'm going to advocate for throughout this series is the idea that the Christian worldview, and in, in this case, the Christian view of marriage and dating, is so radically different as to be diametrically opposed to the prevailing winds of culture. And some of the ideas we're going to espouse might seem so basic as to not even need to be said, but I'm telling you, as someone who's been studying this, uh, these phenomena in our culture, some of these things need to be said. And some of, these, some of these things will be so 
obvious to you, but will be so controversial to the world. But we must not shy away from these basic biblical principles. What we're going to see today, for example, is going to seem a little bit unpopular. It might even seem old-fashioned. But I'm done caring what people think because I've seen the harm that living otherwise has done and is doing to people. And so we must not be afraid to speak truth. So every week in the series, we're going to be breaking down a, a very common lie that's being told and widely accepted in the world about dating and love and sex and marriage. And the first common everyday lie that we're going to demystify or debunk today is this. The purpose of dating is to find someone who makes you happy. The purpose of dating is to find someone who makes you happy. I'm going to seem like, at times in this series, the least romantic man you've ever heard in your life. Some of you are going to feel very sorry for Gio, my wife. Like, where's the fire? Where's the passion? Um, what do you mean falling in love is not supposed to you know, be with someone who makes you happy? Of course, you're supposed to find someone who makes you happy. I'm telling you, it's a lie. And it's a lie that's so pernicious that it's uh, almost impossible to perceive. But this is exactly how most people perceive dating today. And this is exactly why most people are failing to meet their desired goals on the dating scene. Okay? So most people these days, these are just by statistics. I mean, this is not a feeling. It's just what the stats say. Most people are dating to have fun and to meet people that make them happy, even if just for a night. 40% of uh, people that are active on the dating scene today, 40% of adults on the, on the dating scene today have and are willing to go home with uh, their partner on the first um, date. That's just sort of the reality. And if you are wanting to pray for your Christian brothers and sisters who are single, this is sort of what they're up against. How do you compete with those kinds of realities when your morality is entirely opposed to what, what's going on? You know, it's just a, it's a real conundrum. Uh, the majority of singles who are actively dating right now, uh, over 50% of singles on the, on the dating scene now are dating more than one person at a time, which is another um, real challenge. It just says we're in it for us. We're looking for our own satisfaction and trying to fulfill our own bliss or whatever catchword is on the latest self-help books. So from this perspective, the whole point of dating, indeed the whole point of life, is to find your happiness, to claim it. And when you're not happy with the one you're with or with the ones you're dating or with what you're doing, then it's incumbent upon you to find happiness elsewhere. That's the mindset that's most common in the culture. And what's really sad to watch from, from my vantage point is how that fine-sounding worldview is leading to so much despair, is actually leading to the death of romance in our, in our culture today. It seems like it would lead to more romance, right? We're all looking for happiness. We'll find it together. No, that's not what's happening. It's leading to more and more despair, and it doesn't take a genius to figure out why. Because if we're looking for something that makes us happy, we're going to be looking for something that feels easy, and dating is anything but easy. Real dating is hard. It, it means putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, having your heart broken, getting ghosted and breadcrumbed and whatever else is going to be on that glossary of terms I'm going to put out in a few weeks. It's just absolutely ridiculous what single people go through on the dating scene. And so if you're not finding your happiness there, what will you do? You're probably going to quit or get demoralized, or get cynical, or you'll diminish dating into something less than what you sought 
in the first place, when you started dating, right, you'll just sort of settle for whatever, you know, dating affords you, even if it's not really what you wanted in the beginning. That, by the way, is exactly what's happening. Lots of single adults are dropping out of the dating scene. Some of you have people you're close to. If you're not single, you have single friends, and you're like, who are you seeing? And they're like, I haven't been on a date in six years. And you're like, what's wrong? You don't understand. You don't know maybe how bad it is out there. And many of the single people in this church have, I know, given up on dating in any traditional sense anyway. And this is just, I want you to share these bleak figures with you. Y'all ready to get depressed? You ready? Okay, this is going to depress you. This really got me by surprise. Here's the, here are the numbers. This is from the 2022 research from Pew, which is a great research firm. This is post-COVID. This is up to date, right? 31% of all adults in America are single. So either unmarried or unattached. 31% of all American adults. But among all single adults, only 49% of them are actively dating. So less than half of single adults are actually dating. Okay? And here it gets even worse for people that are hopeful on the dating scene. Only 15% of the adult population is actually dating. And among the active daters, only 36% of those women are looking for a serious relationship. And only 22% of those men who are actively dating are looking for a serious relationship. And if there's any accountants or math minds in the room, this took me about 20 minutes to calculate. Some of you are doing it on the fly. That's about 4.35% of the total population that is actively dating, single, actively dating, and looking for a serious relationship. Your single friends are up against some impossible odds. And so maybe we should be a little more compassionate, those of us who haven't dated in 20-plus years like me and others of us that have been married a long time have been off the dating scene. Maybe we should have a little more empathy and compassion for those who are struggling with this world as we, as we know it. I believe um, all of these modern stats and these data, I believe they can be traced back to that lie, that one lie that we're exposing today, the lie that it is all about finding your happiness and whatever makes you happy in a moment is what you should be dating for. I, I think that is directly linked to the issues we're seeing on the dating scene today. So, as Christians, what's our counterclaim to that pernicious myth? What do we say? If it's, if it's not a matter of dating being about your finding your, your happiness or someone who makes you happy, then what is it about? Well, this is not going to blow anyone's minds. This is not groundbreaking. But here's the truth about Christians and dating, all right? It's not about your happiness. The purpose of dating is to find someone to marry. Everybody go, wow, wow, what? <laughs> Did not see that coming. The purpose of dating, according to everything we believe to be true as Christians, is to find someone to marry and nothing else. So you can imagine what the implications are of that. I'm not making this up, by the way. This is just pulled straight from the pages of Scripture. Let me, let me explain. So Genesis chapter 2 is a key chapter for understanding this. Genesis 2 verse 18 says, The Lord God said, this is in the beginning, right? First, first book. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then we're going to jump to verse 22. Genesis 2.22 says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So we talk a lot about God's plan for our lives, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And originally this, being naked in a garden with the one person you love and unashamed of your nakedness or theirs, this was God's original plan, which I think we could all agree sounds pretty good. Like, that sounds pretty awesome. <sighs> naked with the one I love most, and, and God, God's cool with it, and, and uh, it's great. And, and, then, and, and then, of course, these two people become one flesh, and, and the story of Genesis 1 and 2 is, in some ways, the story of humanity's beginning. And humanity's beginning began with a wedding. The wedding of one man and one woman in this beautiful union. God's first command to humankind wasn't like, go to church. He told them the first thing, be fruitful and multiply. And y'all can read between the lines. You know what that means. You know how we do that, right? It's like, that's his first command. And this was an image of marriage where a man and a woman become one flesh. He made us for monogamous marriage. Now, I know there are people who are called to singleness. And the New Testament speaks a lot to that. We'll be getting more into that in a a few weeks. But the great majority of us, he made for monogamous, faithful, covenant marriage. And there are biblical cynics. Maybe some of you are in the room. And you will say, What about all those other things in the Bible? What about all those other kinds of marriage and relationships in the Bible? What about all those situationships? It's another one of those glossary terms. Situationships in the Bible. What about about all those those, predators and polygamists and prostitutes and players in the Bible? Yeah, all that's there. All that is in the Bible, but it's all in the Bible after sin entered in. You will not find God prescribing those things. You will not find him blessing those things. In fact, it's pretty clear if God wanted something like that for the man he made in his image, he could have made Adam a harem. It was well within his power to go beyond making just Adam and Eve. He could have made Adam and Eve and Evelyn and Erica and Elizabeth and Eliza and could have made him a whole bunch of wives, but he made one, one for the other. He brought them together. They became one flesh. And then, amazingly, when Jesus walked the earth, many years later, he went out of his way to quote this very passage we just read, but he also embellished it and and, and sort of built on it. And you'll see what I mean in a second. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6 say this. Haven't you read, he replied, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife? And the two will become one flesh. And then Jesus adds this. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so Jesus takes this sort of flesh idea of two human beings becoming one flesh in the world and and sees it through a spiritual lens. He says, God has done this. And what has happened in this union will echo in eternity. It is forever. It is not to be disjointed or torn apart by anyone. There is a spiritual something about marriage that sparks something deep within us. And we know there's something powerful and true that marriage is not just secular or social. It's spiritual, transcendent, and even eternal 
maybe. So even though dating, as we know it, didn't exist in Bible times, we can look at the Bible and find evidence for what biblical dating would be, how biblical dating would look, right? These aren't major mysteries that we have a lot of ambiguity on. Dating, from a Christian perspective, right? Dating is either inextricably bound to the goal of marriage and monogamy, or it will inevitably become toxic and chaotic and harmful and dehumanizing to everyone involved, which is exactly what we are seeing today. I'm not sure we can have it both ways. I think it is one or the other. Here's the really crazy part, and here's where I think we have common ground. Even if you're disagreeing with me, maybe you're not a Christian, and by the way, I'm glad you're here if you're not, because the story's mission is to inspire non-religious people to consider Jesus and to follow him, right? So even if we're not seeing eye to eye on everything, what's wild to me is that I think we kind of do actually see eye to eye in this culture about the importance and transcendence of marriage. And I know this, or I think I know this, because um, as non-religious as the younger generations are said to be, and as much as they are distancing themselves from all things churchy, I have seen their weddings. I have been to probably 200 millennial and older Gen Z weddings. Not a lot of them are getting married anymore like, like younger generations were at their age. But when they do get married, I'm talking the event of the century, the amount of sheer energy and time, planning, production quality checks. You know, it's like, like all of it. Everything has to be right. Everything has to be just perfect. Heavenly, you might say. Everything has to be just as it should. And it doesn't even begin at the wedding. It begins with the proposal. The pressure begins at the proposal. The, the proposal has to be perfect. It has to be in the right light, at the right time of day, in the right place, on the right mountain, where no one else is except this photographer you hired. None of you know, but, but apparently he's there. He's a part of it now. And so he's on the next mountain over, taking the perfect pictures of you and her in this private moment that you have perfectly orchestrated. And she says, yes, and then you're off to perfect the rest of the event, right? You gotta pick the right wedding date, the right wedding venue, the right wedding season, the right wedding destination. You've gotta invite the right guests. You've gotta pick the right dress, the right cake, the right everything, flowers, all of it. All of it costs a fortune. But they, you do it, you go into debt for it. Some of us will go into debt for these Weddings, and everything has to be just so. The lighting, the videographer, the pastor. I get coached now for weddings by 23-year-old brides. <laughs> Tell me she wants me to be engaging but not steal the spotlight. <laughs> because it's her day, all right? I can be Christian, I can be a Christian, but not, not a cringy Christian, all right? I can, no altar calls or anything like that. Don't get crazy. This is my day, she tells me. And, and so this is very common now. And I think it's just because there's so much pressure around the weddings. And, and it used to be that the pressure was all on the bride. Now the groom shares the load in ways that I never imagined. Like this is a new phenomenon, but it used to be the case that on the wedding day, the groom kind of got a free ride. All he had to do was show up and be sober enough to take pictures and say yes. And... <laughs> Now, when the bride enters, instead of all the heads turning and looking at her, most of the heads are turning and looking at him to see if his reaction is appropriately emotional, 
All right, so if, if he loves her, he'll shed a tear. And it's like a Salem witch trial thing. If he doesn't, we drown him or something. I don't know, but like, <laughs> we, it's so much pressure. I feel so bad for these young men. Most of them, most of them step up and perform on demand in ways that I can't imagine doing, but, but this is absolutely um, the case. And if some, of you, if some of you don't know what I'm talking about, I, I brought a, a brief video to just, to just show you. <laughs> This is a beautiful montage, and the, the videographer here is great and all that, but I just wanted you to see the kind of pressure we're putting these young men under as, on their wedding day. So the, they all nailed it. Like, I mean, every bride wants to see that um, from their groom when they're walking down the aisle. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. And, and, and I don't think they're faking it or anything. I, I joke about it, but I think, I think men are being taught to feel now. I think that's a good thing, all right? But, but let me ask you a question. If dating really is just about your own fun and your own happiness and finding someone who makes you feel good for a time, and if, if dating is so uh, challenging that only 4% of the population today is actually dating in search of a committed relationships, then why are weddings still the holy grail of our culture? And why for most of us in any given year, why is a wedding the biggest event that we will attend, the most meaningful one anyway? Why does every wedding require so much painstaking planning and preparation and production? As a preacher, I see theology everywhere. And I don't think it's just about the production. I think that the weddings we plan and attend and enjoy are just echoes of something, something more. I think a wedding is an echo of something eternal, something spiritual. And I think I think it's fair to say from a biblical perspective that we were all made to desire a wedding day. Something like the ones we just sort of laughed at. I think deep down there is a need, a want really to, to be in that kind of love, to be wanted by someone that desperately. I think a wedding is what we're all wired to desire, but it's not just about an earthly wedding. The earthly weddings are just rehearsals. 
for something even greater that is to come according to the Bible because just like the Bible begins with a wedding, it also ends with a wedding. Weddings bookend all of Scripture. And the last wedding the Bible tells about is the one that is yet to come, the one that will come one day. And, and, and this wedding is between the bridegroom called Jesus, our Redeemer, and his bride called the church. And, and in the mysterious book called Revelation, we find a description of this kind of wedding. In Revelation 21 uh, and 22. So these are the last two chapters of the whole Bible. And this is how it ends, okay? If you've never gotten that far in your Bible reading plans. I'm a spoiler alert, all right? This is how it ends. Chapter 21, verses 9 through 11. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Jerusalem is a, a, a metaphor for the church, the bride of Christ, who's called the Lamb here. It's shown with the glory of God, and brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. What you're seeing here is an image of like a bride adorned in a white gown and in jewels, right? Like this is absolutely what a bride looks like when she enters the room. That's why that, I think, that's why that moment is so special. And then Jesus says in chapter 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches, for his bride, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, come to the wedding. And, and, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the, listen, let the one who's thirsty now come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come to the wedding. This is a vision, not just of this earth, but of heaven. This is a vision of eternity. The init initiation of heaven will be a wedding and we will not just be attending, we will be participating. We are the bride of Christ. And this union between Christ and his church will not be one that comes and goes. It will not be fleeting. It will be forever. And when, he, when, when we enter the room, he will see us not as we are, but he will see us blameless. He won't see your past. He won't see our body counts. He won't see our sin or our shame. He won't see any of it. He will see us blameless and pure. Why? Because of what the last line in this passage says, the free gift of the water of life has washed us clean, and it can be for everyone. It is the grace of God for all people that erases the sin and shame of your past until you are splendid as the bride of Christ. And when we see the look on his face, I don't know if it will be as emotional as these guys. Maybe it'll be more. Jesus was a crier too. You may remember. We will see what real love looks like. The Bible begins with the wedding of one man and one woman, and it ends with the wedding of Christ and his church. And everything that we do in this life, everything that we do in our romantic lives, in dating and marriage, everything is rehearsal for heaven. And whenever we reduce dating or romance down to anything less than what the Bible says it should be, we miss an opportunity to rehearse for what our eternity holds in store for us. In heaven, no one will be alone. In heaven, not one of us will be single. In heaven, no one will be unspoken for. No one will be unfaithful. No one will be ghosted. Insert Holy Ghost joke here. No one will be, no one will be let down. Everyone will belong to the bridegroom. Now, next week, we're going to talk in, more in depth about what all of this has 
in store for us if we are to take this seriously? How would it change the way that we date? Obviously, there are implications. We would date more seriously, maybe more um, with more discernment. Maybe we would date more discriminately about um, what we're looking for. Obviously, there are implications. But but I wanted to hear our, our young people, especially single people, men and women, I want you to hear that no matter how much this world tries to convince you otherwise, take heart and hold fast to the promises of God, even if it means less quantity in terms of dates. His promise is that it will mean more quality, not just in this life, but through eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these promises. We ask for your forgiveness for the ways that we've fallen short. Truly, there are more than we care to count. Um, But Lord, your grace runs free like a river that never ends. And we receive it now. I pray for those who've been far from you, Lord, would receive the invitation home, not just as a guest or a stranger, but as your bride, joined to you in faithful covenant forever. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.